Our gospel reading this morning is Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. And those very disciples we were just talking about, this is when Jesus actually calls them together and appointed them as these 12. Uh, Why 12? I'll let you wonder that for now. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you've made, and we thank you for your word you've given to us. Or we do ask that this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, God, that uh, you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that are ready to receive your word, to be changed by it, that by your word and by your spirit we would be formed evermore today into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Turning into our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and going on through 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Paul continues writing to the church in Corinth and says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have been reading through together uh, the book of Genesis this year, and uh, that's what I've been preaching from uh, Sunday after Sunday this whole year. And if you have been following along, you know kind of how the story has gone. You also know that we have hit some pretty weird passages for Sunday mornings. Um, A couple weeks ago... We hit one that was not at all appropriate for children, and so we had to do something different there. Um, Today, it's another weird one, but in a very different way. This one, children are certainly welcome uh, (laughs) to stick around for. Um, However, there are some of you who may be tempted about halfway through to just get up and walk out. I would encourage you not to do that. (laughs) Um. This is 
a part of the story that probably haven't ever heard preached before. This is Genesis chapter 36, and this is the family line of Esau. So you have Abraham, who has his son Isaac, who has two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau, right? So far, so good. (laughs) Well, we are about to learn more about Jacob's family in later weeks. But before we get there, we're going to pause and hear about Esau's family. And as you do so, uh, the first thing, we'll make some observations about this, uh, but the first thing I want you to know as we're going into this is um, that it's a long list of names. That is what it is, so just be ready for that. I don't want this to take you by surprise. But secondly, you may have heard long lists of names read before, uh, things like um, war memorials or uh, 9-11 memorials where the time is taken to actually read the names. And there's a reason for that. And, uh, and the reason for that is because each name represents a person, a person who has value and who has importance. And so we're going to go through. I could just say it's, it's Esau's family and then just talk about it. We're not going to do that. We're going to read through the list of names. And I want you to um, be listening for those that you recognize. Probably aren't a lot of those. I want you to be, but also listen as uh, those that the Bible records as um, a part of Esau's family because this family and the individuals within it do have importance as people. Um, Also, as always, when reading a list of names from the Bible, if you know somebody who's expecting a baby, these are good names to consider. Or maybe not. This is Genesis chapter 36, uh, verses 1 through 43. I think I misprinted that in the bulletin. It says, This is the account of the family line of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the women of Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and Aholibamah, daughter of Anna, and granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite, also Basimoth, daughter of Ishmael, and sister of Nebaioth. Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, Basimath bore Ruel, and Aholibamah bore Jeosh, Jalam, and Korah. These were the sons of Esau who were born to him in Canaan. Esau took his wives and sons and daughters and all the members of his household, as well as his livestock and all his other animals and all the goods he had acquired in Canaan and moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. Their possessions were too great for them to remain together. The land where they were staying could not support them, both because of their livestock. So Esau, that is Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. This is the account of the family line of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife Adah, and Ruel, the son of Esau's wife Basimath. The sons of Eliphaz, Timon, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kinaz. Esau's son Eliphaz also had a concubine named Timnah, who bore him Amalek. These are the grandsons of of Esau's wife, Adah. The sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These were the grandsons of Esau's wife, Basimath. The sons of Esau's wife, Aholibamah, daughter of Anna and granddaughter of Zibion, whom she bore to Esau, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs among Esau's descendants. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau. Chiefs Timon, Omar, Zepho, 
Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs descended from Eliphaz and Edom. They were grandsons of Adah. The sons of Esau's son, Ruel, chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the chiefs descended from Ruel and Edom. They were grandsons of Esau's wife, Basimath. The sons of Esau's wife, Aholibamah, chiefs Jeush, Jalem, and Korah. These were the, the chiefs descended from Esau's wife, Aholibamah, daughter of Anna. These were the sons of Esau, that is, Edom, and these were their chiefs. These were the sons of Seir the Horite, who were living in the region. Lotan, Shobal, Zibian, Anna, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These were the sons of Seir in Edom. Uh, the sons of Seir in Edom were Horite chiefs. The sons of Lotan, Hori, and Homam. Timnah was Lotan's sister. The sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Shepho, and Onam. The sons of Zibian, Aya, and Anna. This is the Anna who discovered the hot springs in the desert while he was grazing the donkeys of his father, Zibian. I knew you were curious. The children of Anna, Dishan and Oholibama, daughter of Anna. The sons of Dishan, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithron, and Keran. The sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavan, and Akan. The sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aran. These are the Horite chiefs. Lotan, Shobal, Zibian, Anna, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the Horite chiefs according to their divisions in the land of Seir. These are the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. Bela, son of Beor, became king of Edom. His city was named Denhaba. When Bela died, Jobab, son of Zerah from Basra, succeeded him as king. When Jobab died, Husham from the land of the Temanites succeeded him as king. When Husham died, Hadad, son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king. His city was named Avith. When Hadad died, Samla from Masrikah succeeded him as king. When Samla died, Shaul from Rehoboth on the river succeeded him as king. When Shaul died, ba- Baal Hanan, son of Akbor, succeeded him as king. When Baal Hanan, son of Akbor, died, Hadad succeeded him as king. His city was named Pau, and his wife's name was Mehetabel, daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezahab. Yeah. These were the chiefs descended from Esau by name, according to their clans and regions. Timnah, Ava, Jetheth, Aholibama, Elah, Pinan, Kenaz, Timon, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These were the chiefs of Edom, according to their settlements in the land they occupied. This is the family line of Esau, the father of the Edomites. Okay. And as I have uh, continued to joke throughout this series, we get to an end of a passage and I say, go and do likewise. You know, this is, and I make that joke week after week, not every week, because I know you get tired of it, but to make the same point, which is we so often uh, think that everything that was written in the Bible is something that is written for us to copy. And I'm, as we've been reading this, hopefully that is that running joke has made the point again and again. It's not all there for us to copy. (laughs) It is all there for us, but not just to be copied as such. And how would you even copy this? Uh, Please don't try. So, um, but it is for us. And so now the question is, how in the world is this for us? Is there anybody this morning who showed up today because you were just really, really dealing with a situation in your life and you're like, if only I knew who the descendant of a Holy Obama was, then I would be able to make this life decision. 
My guess is nobody. And yet, here it is. This is uh, for us, and we do believe this is the word of God for our benefit. And so the question is, how? And for that, we have to take a step back and remember where we are in the story. Do you remember um, when we talk about Esau being the grandson of Abraham? You've got Abraham and then Isaac, and then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Do you remember any uh, conflict between Jacob and Esau as brothers when they were growing up? Anything? I mean, there's the whole birth thing where even at birth, Jacob is grabbing Esau's heel. But then even as uh, young men, we see um, Jacob somewhat tricking uh, Esau out of his birthright for a bowl of stew. Esau agrees to it, but it's not a very fair deal. And then you fast forward later, and we see Jacob stealing the blessing of Esau by pretending to be Esau to his uh, old and blind father to the point that now this, uh, where the relationship ended then is Esau was mad enough to kill Jacob and was just waiting for the right time to do it. That is the relationship of these brothers from when they were younger. But if you recall... We read the blessing. We know what the birthright is about. The birthright is about having a a double portion and this double share of the inheritance. And then we see this blessing and the way that Isaac blesses uh, Jacob when he thinks he's Esau, but he's blessing Jacob, puts him above his brothers. And that what he's going to have is going to be greater than that of what his brother has. And we have seen even before that the promises that God has made to Abraham to bless all nations through him, but also to make him a father of many nations, many peoples. We've seen the same kind of promise to Jacob. And so now we kind of take a pause on hearing that family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and on down there, and we go, Abraham, Isaac, Esau, just for a bit. (laughs) Let's just hear for a bit about this part of the family. And one of the things that you see in this part of the family I don't know if you noticed, it's kind of big. You notice that? That was a lot of names. And so when we are reading this list of names, I think that's one of the things that's supposed to hit us is when God promised to Abraham to make him a father of many nations, and now you're reading about his grandson's family, it's big. (laughs) And it is nations. We have people ruling in these various areas. We have the chiefs over such and such and such and such. We've got all these different... um, Rulers and those who, let's see, the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. And so we're seeing all these people and, the, and these rulers, and we haven't gotten any kings from Jacob's family yet. And so when we're hitting this part of the story, I think two things are supposed to be going on in our brains. I think we're supposed to be thinking about the promises that God has made to Abraham and how this is coming to fruition already in the family of Esau. But then we're also supposed to go, but wait. That's not supposed to be through the family of Esau. That's supposed to be through the family of Jacob. Jacob's actually supposed to have more than Esau. He's supposed to have this double portion. He's supposed to have a greater blessing than that which Esau has. So when we see all this stuff with Esau and the amazing family he has and the way he's ruling, then we're also supposed to go, oh, if Esau has that, 
Well, what's this going to mean for Jacob's family? And we're supposed to be ready for that next part of the story. That's where we're actually going to pick up the story in January. We're going to pause for Christmas time. <laughs> but um, we're going to pick up the story in January and see what does this mean for Jacob's family. And I'll tell you, the story takes kind of a turn. And it doesn't go quite like we might expect if we were just hitting this and saying, if Esau's family is so great, I can't wait to see the greatness that God gives to Jacob's family. Because we start Jacob's family story in the very next chapter with some sibling rivalry, repeating some things from the past. Some brothers who want to murder their brother, repeating some family dynamics from the past. And then we see the family split up. And we see uh, someone going down uh, to slavery and then to prison in a foreign land. And we go, well, that's not what I was expecting. I really thought that God was going to do great things for Jacob and his family. Especially after what all we saw with Esau's family. And I think that's how it's supposed to, to hit us. However, we will see as we continue that story how oh, God does have great things <laughs> at work in Jacob's family. But the other thing that we're supposed to see here is that the way that God works is not uh, only in the lives of individuals. He certainly does work in the lives of individuals. But he's also working on a much bigger scale than even a single human lifetime. A much bigger scale. To the point that you have generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. And God is working with all this. Um, there are a couple other reasons, though, I think we hit this. Did you notice that several times in this passage it referred to Esau as Edom? Have you ever heard of the Edomites? also referenced in here. These are a people group that are the descendants of Esau and who continue to have conflict with Jacob's descendants, known as Israel. And so Israel and Edom kind of have this ongoing love-hate relationship, but there's more hate than love there. And um, to the point, if you... If you read the book of Obadiah, it's all of this prophecy against Edom because we're going to fast forward the story a lot. And one day, Israel as a nation ends up uh, split, but then they have to go into exile. And when they do, the people from Edom, instead of being grieved that this is what's happening to you know, their, their cousins kind of thing, Instead, they are joining in the abuse of those who are uh, treating Israel badly. So Obadiah is prophesying not good things for Edom and basically says, as, it's, as you have done to them, so it's going to be done to you. And uh, there's also something that happens within the story of Edom Uh, as you follow it through the rest of the Bible, where Edom is kind of becomes a stand-in for all of humanity. 
with the very letters of the words in Hebrew for Edom. They use consonants and they don't use vowels and it's a weird thing. That's how it is. But the consonants that are used for Edom and the consonants that are used for mankind are the same. And so um, that actually gets picked up later in the Bible and verses get quoted that are originally talking about Edom later get quoted as talking about all humanity. Very interesting. So this is, uh, is a part of our story. Edom also kind of disappears. We follow that story all the way through. But there are some names in here that maybe you were familiar with. But there's another name. Um, when you come from Hebrew into Greek, the Edomites um, are through... Well, there's language stuff happens here. And you end up going from calling them Edomites to calling them Idumeans. You can kind of hear it, can't you? Edomite, Idumean. It's spelled differently, but when you're saying it, it makes sense. It's the same people. And uh, one of the most famous Idumeans, or Edomites, is Herod the Great. The Herod who was the Herod when Jesus was born. So as we are uh, quickly turning the corner uh, from Thanksgiving to uh, Advent and looking at the coming celebration of the birth of Jesus, we think about what, what does this family line of Esau have to do with that? Very much. Very much. But there's another part. We just read Mark 3 a little bit ago. And I mentioned the number 12. It was going to make you wait to find out why Jesus calls 12 disciples. And this has to do with the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, As Jesus is starting this kingdom of God in a new way. But just before we read there, if you go verses 7 and following, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. And if you know kind of your uh, geography in this area, that's kind of hitting all these different areas around. So all these people are coming to, um, to hear Jesus and to see what he's doing and what he's about. And one of the places it says that people came from is Edom, these descendants of Esau, the descendants of Esau who, yes, had the prophecies from Obadiah uh, against them, and yet here they are once again kind of representing people everywhere and coming to check out Jesus. This is, um, this is I think, part of what's going on in this chapter that is for us, is seeing how the good news of Jesus is for everybody. Because there's another part of this that we haven't talked about yet. This was that one part of the story that wasn't really a list of names and not the part about the guy finding the hot springs. That's just cool. 
<laughs> but this is the part that came earlier when it said uh, that Esau took his wife. This is verse 6. Esau took his wives and sons and daughters and all the members of his household as well as his livestock and all his other animals and all the goods he had acquired in Canaan and moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. Their possessions were too great for them to remain together. The land where they were staying could not support them both because of their livestock. So Esau, that is Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. In other words, why is it that Edom is where it is? Why did Esau settle where he settled? And it says it's because Jacob... And Esau each had too much stuff to be able to stay together. So then the question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? This is a similar thing to what we had already seen happen with Abraham and Lot. Do you remember? They are in the land and the land can't support them. And so they go their separate ways. And you see uh, Lot actually end up going to about the same place where Esau is going right now. We're replaying history. And what happened when Lot left Abraham and they went their separate ways? He ended up in Sodom. And uh, later Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed and he has to flee. It doesn't go well. And so I have to wonder if... Uh, on the one hand, this is being seen as a good thing, that they are um, prospering and having such abundance, etc., that there is some sort of material blessing that they are enjoying in this land. And yet, I also wonder, if we're supposed to see an implied uh, problem here when the blessing actually becomes a barrier to relationship. It seems like if the land can't support all the stuff, they could have less stuff and stay together. But that's not the choice they make. Instead, they keep the stuff and they separate from each other. And for the rest of the story, we see these two in conflict. And that's where I have to wonder, is this a good thing? that They have so much. Or is this not a good thing that this is something that now comes between them? I don't know the answer to that, but I will wonder that aloud and let you wonder along with me on that. Um, but what we do see is throughout the rest of the story that even though we're now going to turn uh, and follow Jacob's story and continue to follow that line of the promise, Edom, Edom, that... Um, that people group that is kind of this constant thorn in the side of the nation of Israel <laughs> is still a people worth mentioning, people worth mentioning by name, people who represent all of humanity and people that God is still going to continue to work with and extend invitation to. They don't just get written off. Um, there's more fascinating stuff in this genealogy if you ever want to take the time to draw it all out. But I think for us, for today, I'll leave it with this. Keep our interest peaked. 
about where this story is going to go, <laughs> what this is going to mean. Notice that it already has, uh, is demonstrating God's faithfulness to Abraham in continuing to bless all of his descendants, whether or not they are the line of the promise. That God continues to work with all peoples, whether or not they are part of his chosen people. Then also, let's look at um, how God has blessed us, the ways that he has blessed our lives, and how we are using the ways that he has blessed us either for a furthering of his kingdom or as a cause of barrier between us and others or between others and God that should not be. This is a great week to, um, to reflect on all that God has given to us. But it may also be a good week to reflect on how we are using what he's given us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.